love that walk-up music. Good morning. I want to like swing a baseball bat now and hit a home run. I can't do that, but I'd like to try. I'd like to think I could. I'm Scott. I'm the pastor here at Element 3 Church. Excited to have you with us this morning. And man, you guys are awesome for attending on Labor Day. You get 200 extra bonus holiness points for attending on Labor Day weekend, just so you know. And those points are made up and they don't matter. All right, so... As a review, we're in this new sermon series. If you're with us new or haven't been around for a little bit or brand new, uh, we've kind of had a, a this is a, a unique series. We're, we're testing the water of what we can do. Two weeks ago, if you were here, we had round tables and we discerned what our purposes were. What's my purpose in life? Am I, am I destined to do what I'm currently doing or do I need to make a, a shift in my overall idea of who I am? And it was a wonderful service. We didn't even have any corporate worship like you'd be used to. And by the way, the worship was great this morning. Can we, can we just affirm our worship team that this morning? And then last week, I was really appreciative. Pastor Mike did an amazing job talking about rest, talking about rest. How many of you rested this week? And not just rest, but holy rest. There's some of us who are like, yeah, I sat in front of the TV and vegged out for 97 hours in a row. That's not the point. Holy rest is to allow God to refuel your soul and to recenter it, to refocus and to refuel. In contrast, we talked two weeks ago about not knowing, and if you don't know what your purpose is, you're embracing what we call the shadow, and that's what we're boxing over this sermon series. The shadow is the worst side of the best parts of who you are. I, I, I'm an okay speaker. I'm an okay teacher. But I know equally I can misguide people pretty easily. I can lead people to do things that, that I want them to do and not what God wants them to do. That's my shadow self. I, I, I care about being on stage and having a great presence. And if I'm not careful, all of a sudden my shadow self saying, it's all about you, Scott. Look how much power you have. They're coming on Labor Day even to hear you preach. <laughs> shadow self. Secondly, as Mike talked about last week, never resting or going too far in unhealthy rest. Those are the, the dark sides as we talked about the last two weeks. And today we're going to address the last under the earth issue in our shadow boxing the roots of the tree. Many of us have what we see in front of us today. We, we, we come in, in certain packages, and we have certain personalities, and we have certain relationships. There, there's people you can't wait to greet on Sunday mornings, and some of you are like, I'm gonna make sure I get into the bathroom before I see person X on Sunday mornings, right? And that happens Monday through Friday at work, right? Family reunions. You have that person in your family, you're like, I can't wait to avoid that person. And I gotta figure out ways to do that. Some of you are laughing uncomfortably right now. That's okay. I'm with you. It's uncomfortable. Those are outside issues. We're talking about inner issues today. And today, we're going to be talking about choices, choices that you make in your life. It's a very broad subject, but it's important in shadow boxing because the choices we've made as a society have had some pretty huge consequences over the last couple of years, yes? The choices I make individually through things like a pandemic, through upheaval and uprest have made some pretty big impacts upon myself and my personal testimony if I call myself Christian. Today, we're talking about those under-the-soil choices that affect me in many different ways, even though many of our choices are impacted by others around us. We're going to forget about the other people around us just for this morning and focus in on ourselves. And to do that, I want to do a self-assessment. And I know this is going to be risky, and I know it's going to be outside many of your comfort zones, but please just... Trust me on this, okay, church? Online people, do not chat in at this time. Do not chat in at this time. No matter how much you want to hit enter, do not. I'm going to say several different phrases. 
And what I'm gonna invite you to do is close your eyes and do some self-reflection and raise your hand if you feel this identifies you. I'm gonna be the only one up on stage watching you all. And I just wanna see if anybody raises their hand on these phrases. Make sense? All right, so on three, close your eyes and I'll make some loud noise to wake you all up at the end of this, okay? First sentence, close your eyes, no peeking. Heads down, thumbs up. I'm doing too many things, frequently feel overwhelmed and have no idea what my own desires are. Raise your hand if you feel that way. I have focus, but cannot seem to make progress. Raise your hand. I feel bored, unused, or void, or empty. Raise your hand. My spiritual life is in a rut. Raise your hand. I have raving success, whatever I do, but sometimes I feel like I'm just a fake. Raise your hand. I feel like I'm in the midst of a crisis right now. Raise your hand. I feel like I have an awesome connection to God. Raise your hand. I wonder when this questions will stop and what I can have for lunch. Raise your hand. All right, raise your, open your eyes, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Good job, church. Good job. In every one of the statements I made, you got to choose your own reflection in a moment. And in every wording of every question, it was you who made the choice to where you are. Those were your choices to say, I feel blank. Even the awesome connection to God. And what's interesting, church, and, and of course you had your eyes closed the entire time, you couldn't see. Someone raised their hand on every single one of those last questions. Which means at some point, every one of us is feeling at one of those statements. It's sobering. And I'm not saying that it's, it's others or luck or timing that doesn't play a part in this but there is a point where you can control your own choices. It's a journey to get where you are. Several years ago, my mentor, Tim Johnson, who's a pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska, he's set to retire due to a sharp turn in his health. And he set up a time with me to review my life purpose, to understand who my true self was and what my shadow self was trying to pull me in direction of. And in every question that Tim asked me, I realized it was me who took me to where I was. It was me who took me to where I was currently. Even though there's a lot of variables out there, I controlled where I currently was at that time of life. See, I had a wonderful giant house. I had the world's greatest dog. His name was Bobby. I had two bright and beautiful kids. I was a youth pastor to a group who had grown from eight to 80 in about two years. That's awesome, right? I was leading worship and preaching in almost every service at some point, and by all means, I was successful in every single metric in my life. But I would say, as if questions I just asked you, I was feeling overwhelmed. I didn't know what my own desires were. I lacked focus and direction. I was everywhere and nowhere at the same time. I had focus, but I was not making any progress. I felt bored, unused, void, or empty, even though I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And friends, my spiritual life during this time was in a rut. And it looked like I had success, but I felt like I was a fake. And I was in the midst of a crisis. See, we had health concerns that no one knew about. We had no health insurance. My wife gracefully and lovingly went to work while I was doing the ministry side. And we were just out of control. Our whole life was in flux and in chaos. 
Tim and I spent two and a half days together. And when you spend two and a half days with a person you're not normally used to spending time with, that's a long time. We had sheets of giant sticky notes, those giant ones you use, covering every wall in a room that was about 12 by 12. And it was all about me. I was cutting myself open for Tim to see the worst and the best parts of who I was. The interesting thing was many ways I had worldly success and nothing in my life was wrong. But we saw that the Holy Spirit was screaming and I was going like this. Please, God, don't tell me to do anything different because I feel like this is what I should be doing based on my own choices, my own convictions. God was saying something different. Tim already had a marked place in my life. He married Carissa and I. And he was a huge ministry cheerleader for me, a huge mentor. I'd come to him several times. But from that weekend on, there was a connection that I bared my true garbage. I'd like to use another word, but I get in trouble for saying it in church. My kids say it. I don't know how you can, but I'm not going to say it. Ask him about the word after church. And found acceptance and direction. I fought a shadow with a trainer right by my side, just like Rocky and Mickey Goldmill. And of course, in a sermon on shadow boxing, we have to put a picture of Rocky on the screens, right? Tim, blessings to you. Congrats on your retirement. I am forever in your debt. Love you. Generally, what I found during that time were several things. First, I wasn't conferring with God on any of my decisions. Hey, this, this is up here in front of me. All right, let's do it. Or, uh, I don't think that looks very fun. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't look good to me. But I never talked to God. Even though I was a youth and worship pastor, I was an associate pastor. Secondly, I was defining success too narrowly. My success mainly came from numbers. Some of us have been taught that in an early age. And that's not necessarily a bad marker. It's not a bad thing to be success by numbers. But when you only define success by numbers, whoo, Satan loves that. Three, I had pushed my limits. And I confess this to you. I was working almost every night at the church. When I'm working every night at the church, you know who's not with my kids? Totally out of balance. And fourth, I had no connection to my past or where I was currently about where God was actually calling me in my life, that purpose statement, the books that we started working on just two weeks ago. We left with several areas that I had to choose to daily to undo the cancer and the ignoring of God's call in my life to where I had gotten to. Over the coming year, I resigned my position. I moved into a role of dental insurance training. Seems insane, but, but I do believe, looking back, God was leading me towards that role for very specific reasons that you all want to go to lunch. I'm not going to get that right now. And I reconfigured my spiritual life, which was the hardest thing. I deconstructed my faith, my faith that I inherited as a child, and I found my own personal faith. And this took years to do. In the passage, we just heard read so well, so well. We see that the crossroads that all of us come at some point in our lives. The man does not do anything sinful in the story. He has great success. He's a rich man. And you see, the harvest he had was so big that he says, I'm going to build some storehouses. 
culturally, the phrase daily bread from the Lord's Prayer really truly spoke to what it meant living in that day and age, that you didn't know what your daily bread was going to come from. Most of us have refrigerators full of food and freezers full of food, right? Most of us can find and understand that I have a plan for my next meal, or at least I know where I can go get help. And God bless Surf Tallahassee for that. The idea that this person had so much food he's going to build storehouses truly shows that he is enormously rich. And so, in that idea, he says success means that I should build some storehouses and store it up. Then I can sit back, eat, drink, and be what? Be merry. All of us love a little merriment in our lives. Jesus' parables strategically do not have background. I wish I knew if he had kids. You wish he, maybe he ran a health center in Jerusalem and he was gonna use some of that food to help the poor, right? Maybe his background was that his parents were really poor, so he was just kind of, you know, it's all about the parents. Let's blame the parents on this one, right? It's always fun to blame your parents and not take any guilt, right? We don't have any backstory. And he uses this parable to illustrate a larger point in this Sermon on the Mount or in Luke's passage, the Sermon on a Plain. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to wear. God takes care of the sparrow. God takes care of the lilies of the field. Why do you worry about such trivial stuff? This man had great success and therefore chose what the world would think was right rather than what God would think was right. His world was wrapped around possessions versus God and therefore his purpose was and his focus was upon the world for daily choice making. This man in the parable is only concerned about his decisions and the goodness in his time. He wasn't conferring with God about any decisions. Listening to his shadow. His success was wrapped around harvest and bays, number two, which seems wise. Three, he had pushed beyond his limits. He had no idea what tomorrow would bring. As the parable infers that if he would have known that tomorrow his life would have been called for him, he would have chosen differently of that day. And number four, he had no connection to his past or present into the mission that God was calling. Obviously, he's a made-up person in a parable that Jesus uses to tell the people. So let's go a little more personal. I wasn't conferring with God on my decisions. Many believe that years ago, if I have this direct God connection in my vocation, that because I'm called a pastor, that somehow my prayers are just a little bit better than any other commoners. Which is true, God and I talk daily. I keep him locked in my office so he can't bother all of you because he wants something totally different for you. I'm just, I'm just keeping him away, okay? It's ironic, you know, you're a little uncomfortable, right? No, your prayers mean just as much as Pastor Scott's prayers. I wasn't connecting with God and I had the title pastor in front of my, title, my, my name. Two, I was finding my success too nearly. We hear in almost all our media, it's about instant fame, success, and wealth. And many a pastor has succumbed to this. Is your life wrapped around fame, success, and wealth? And whatever your vocation is, whatever your station of life is, do you just have to be one step better than your sibling? So when you get to that family reunion, you can just, you know, gloat just a little bit. Is there success about titles or names or ways in which you've become greater than you could ever even imagine? Or is there success wrapped around God? I had pushed my limits. 
Now, to define a little Christianese term for some of us who are not clear on what that is, Christians love to call this term burnout. Burnout. Anybody heard of the word burnout before? Yeah. Burnout's a fun term because it signifies exactly what's happening to this candle. Eventually, this candle will lose its wax and it will burn out. Burning out is a scary thing. But burnout doesn't have to happen if somehow I'm adding more wax to the bottom of this candle and it never ends. Some of us have wicks that burn brightly. Some of us have wicks that burn very shallow. Some of us have a wax reservoir that is miles deep. And some of us, our candles are very, very, very short. And we need just to add some of that wax to it. The limits that you have in your life are both pushed on by God and defined by the reality and the choices that you make. See, friends, what we do is we, we tend to juggle. I, I'm, a, I'm a fair juggler. Fair juggler. I picked this because it's easy to juggle. It's the same weight. And if I, see, I'm a fair juggler. <laughs> I also got in from a wedding last night at like one o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, I'm not going to juggle this morning because somebody's going to get hurt, Dan. <laughs> we juggle so many things and there's so many different weights because our job might be this size, but our family might be this. And when you start juggling things that are different sizes into the bright light, and I can't really see what I'm doing. It becomes blinding. And the chances you're going to drop something are very, 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 very high because they're different weights, they're different sizes. And then you add in this, which is breakable, but I mean, the logo is not very worth much, okay? I love you all. Here we go, ready? No, I'm not going to do that. The point of this is, is that we tend to take things that are completely different and we treat them all the same and we force them into something that I can juggle and keep going. Friends, some of us can juggle three things, but some of us are professional jugglers and we can juggle 12 things at once. God bless you. God bless you. Have you talked to God about how much you should be juggling? I was juggling so many different things at that phase of my life that someone would follow back. Oh, well, the other things are still up. Look at these things. Don't look at the broken glass on the floor. My shadow was moving every move I made. I kept going, and I shudder what I would have become had I not stopped. Let me put this in an entirely new, different way. If one of you wins the lottery, one of you wins American Idol, one of you wins the Great British Baking Show, awesome. Don't say that's bad as a Christian. Win all the shows, friends. Do all the awesome things that God has created you to be. But what if you wouldn't go and, and not confer at least with the IRS what to do with my winnings? When they send you the sealed envelope and they say, hey, you won $10 million and you've paid us zero. We need to have a talk. And you're like, nah, I don't want to. What's going to happen? You're going to go to jail. Similarly, why don't we talk to God in the same way? to our earthly king, and ask God, what is required of me? What are my limits? What is my success? And what choices should I be making about my life? Because here's the kicker. This has nothing to do truly about finances. This isn't the finance sermon, by the way. Jesus warns in verse 15, before telling the parable, that they shouldn't worry about finances. And the parable illustrates that either. He's trying to discuss with the two men arguing about an inheritance, but it's because they're not involving God in their lives, in their choices. They're valuing the stuff 
more than each other. It's only about making decisions free from worry, fully enveloped in a relationship with God. And the Sermon on the Plain goes on to discuss just that. If God takes care of flowers, of birds, will he not also take care of you? People make decisions about having a child, changing jobs, taking care of friends, taking care of property, relationship to the earth, and judging other people, and judging the value of others based on their shadow or based on their true self by moment and moment decisions, moment and moment choices. Chuck Swindoll, who's a very famous pastor, puts it this way. He says, what you believe is what you do, and what you do is who you become, and who you become then wraps back around and affects what you believe. When we make decisions with our shallowness and our shadow shallowness, we see burnout, emptiness, worry, deceit, and doubt. To the world, they may see great success, but to the heavenly citizenship of all heaven, we proclaim in his robbing our king of any glory. And these decisions aren't always enormous. Maybe God just wants you to adjust the type of breakfast you have in the morning because it'll change the way that you are at 3 p.m. and that'll affect the relationship you have then. Don't underestimate the choices that God wants to be a part of, church. Maybe God wants you to reach out to an estranged sibling and work up the nerve to say, I love you, no strings attached. Maybe God wants you to put down a hurt that someone has put on you and just to whisper to that shadow self that they are forgiven. When you go past these small and large decisions, when you just ignore God completely, you give power to the shadow, and then that power compounds itself over and over and over. I see success over here. So I'm going to choose to hang out with people that God's not telling me to hang out with. And even though God doesn't say don't hang out with non-sinners, you can't just hang out with only Christians. That's not the point. The fact is that I'm not going to talk to God about any of my choices. And all of a sudden, I'm just so far off the beaten path that I'm going to walk off the stage. And I'm sorry, Michael, you can't see him on the camera anymore. You know, it's, we, we just get so swept away by the spirit of the moment. And that's a social media, but social media is a component of it. It's that this idea that I can be so easily swayed in my choices that I'm completely off the beaten path. See, every decision can do nothing can feed this true side of me, or it will feed my shadow self. And I just want to spend two moments. Groups and organizations do this as well. Groups and organizations do this as well. They make choices that can impact your decisions in your life trajectory. When our churches define success as monetary gain, as butts and seats, or any other worldly method, metric versus stories of transformation where the church goes beyond its limits into politics and societal life without seeking God's intent for the mission. When the church doesn't involve God in decisions, but dynamic leaders devoid of prayer, then the church embraces their own shadow and forgets who it serves, who it is. And the shadow side of Jesus can be quite toxic, intoxicating, and full of manipulation. This isn't targeting large or small churches or any church in particular. This is just calling out what it is. Many of us are here because of this type of shadow. A church, an organization, or a group that doesn't make decisions based on relationship to God will soon find the shadow sizing an uppercut to its chin. What we as individuals and organizations need 
is to make choices that help our true selves become stronger. True self choices look like this. God, what do you think? Asking God, number one. Let me put that slide up. Two, success is radically doing God's will. This isn't saying I'm, I'm dropping all of my life and I'm gonna move to some devoid place in the mountains and become a missionary to people who don't speak my language. Please don't do that. Learn a language, become prepared. Don't be ridiculous and be like, I'm gonna go help everyone. No, help the people around you that God's calling you to help and radically help them. Maybe serve someone who you think is the least of those, who's a cubicle across from yours, like I had to do in my insurance job. Three, what are my limits, God? Ask God that. And of course then, knowing who am I, what's my mission statement that guides my life, that fuels me every single day? The challenge is the enigma of time. My story only shows where I am today and references where I was, but friends, if you knew me and you could see me at the time where I met with Tim, Pastor Tim, you'd say, oh my God. Goodness, who is that handsome guy? You say, oh my goodness, who is that person? That doesn't look like anybody he is today. From every story, from me to Rocky Balboa to the man inside the parable, we stand outside of time and see the impossible turn to possible through rose-colored glasses. Friends, it takes hard work. And moment-by-moment growth in relationship to God and those choices you make can turn you into a completely different person. I want to illustrate that quickly through an analogy from marching band. I love marching band. I was trumpet rank leader in Nebraska, and I have fond memories and nightmares about being in the wrong place on the field. And this idea of not having music or having the band uniform gone are 99% of Pastor Scott's nightmares. If you're in marching band, you get it, amen? Yeah, I got, I got some amens there. There's this moment that I remember so clearly that usually you're used to taking a step and marching across the field like this, and you take about this long a step, and you point your toe up to the sky, and then you roll, point, roll, point, and it's military marching 101, and you have your instrument, whatever it is you're playing, and I remember we were playing 25 or 64 Chicago, great song, hard trumpet part, and so the director's like, I'm gonna make this super easy, you guys just start here, and through the entire song, all I want you to do in the trumpet line is to get from here one yard ahead. But you had to make the illusion that you're marching. And meanwhile, the piccolos and the clarinets and the saxophones and the sousaphones, they're all like jumping around. And us trumpets were like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. What was fascinating is that we could not keep going forward at such a small interval to make it to the spot where it made it look right at the end. Most of us ended up way up here. And because we were so far off in our step size and not taking incremental steps, it threw off the entire picture of what the director wanted to do. Making small incremental steps of just taking two minutes in your commute, two minutes when you wake up saying, hey God, what do you want me to do today? It can make all the difference in the world. It can have you starting at one point, and maybe God just needs you to go right here. Some of us in this room 
need to start at that end of the room and go across the city. Both are good, godly work. And both require choices that are faith-filled, that involve God, that ask for limits and a sense of where am I headed. Be headed where God wants you and let the Spirit guide each and every one of your steps.